This is episode 18 with Beth Whitman. You love it. You are great at it. The world needs it. You are paid for it. In this program, we go deep to get answers to essential questions and learn how to develop key skills to live a life that moves you. This is the Beyond the Surface podcast. My guest, Beth Whitman, is woman's travel expert and host of the Be Bold podcast. She's traveled around the world mostly solo and has almost 30 years of traveling under her belt. Her mission is to inspire other women to pursue their travel dreams while becoming a better version of themselves. Beth's travel blog has nearly 10,000 subscribers and she's been featuring USA Today, CNN, MSNBC, and multiple lifestyle magazines. In this episode, I talk with Beth about her love affair with travel, her journey as a lifestyle entrepreneur, and the tools and tactics behind her career as a tour guide, author, and speaker. Enjoy. Beth, thank you for being here. How are you? Oh, I'm excellent. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Um, before we get started to learn more about you as a travel expert, which uh, I thought it was very interesting, I wanted to kind of really briefly talk about Beth before you became a travel expert. Mm. Who were you before that? <laughs> Who was I? Always a traveler. All right. And, and uh, anytime that I talk about kind of what I do, I say... Uh, I'm a traveler first. That's just kind of, a, I don't know if it's an inherent thing, but it's been something that I've, that's always been, a, it's been a part of my adult life for sure. And uh, I'm reminded by friends that uh, even like in high school that I'd always wanted to travel. I don't actually have that that memory because I wasn't traveling really until I was probably 20 or so. Um, but uh, so travel has always been of interest to me. And uh, so it's always been a part of my life. And uh, I've been able to, through the years before I made travel a career and kind of a lifestyle job for myself, uh, I had been working jobs. I would be in the U.S., um, in Seattle for a long time now. Um, so I'd be in Seattle. I'd work several jobs, save all my money, go travel, put my things in storage or just take some time off and go travel. And then I'd come home. I'd make more money, take off, and then go travel again. So it's always been just this really, really major thread uh, part of my life. From all the jobs that you had before uh, you started uh, traveling uh, as a lifestyle business, uh, what would you say was your favorite job of all? None. None? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I am not a, I'm not an office worker. You oh, know, so they were all office. Yeah. I mean, you know, I started out like when I was 16, I think I worked in a bakery and then mm. I worked at like Roy Rogers fast food. And, you know, I worked in a bar when I was in college and I made a lot of money, you know, mm -hmm. just waitressing, cocktail waitressing. Yeah. And that was great because I made a lot of money, but not, you know, a super healthy lifestyle. Um, I did, I actually worked in radio for a long time. So maybe, you know, it's something that stands out uh, uh, probably as the most interesting to me and my favorite would be working in radio. Mm -hmm. uh, I grew up in New Jersey and went to college uh, with a media communications degree and thinking that I was going to be, hmm. you know, like a disc jockey in New York. And, you know, when you're starting out in the ranks, you're making six bucks an hour. At least at that time, I was making $6 an hour, uh, you know, working as a DJ at these small stations in New Jersey and, and in upstate New York. And uh, you can't travel on six bucks an hour. 
Mm-hmm. But I loved it, you know, because I was bringing music to people, and I love music, and and that was, you know, really kind of part of my heart. Uh, so I guess if anything, I would say working in radio. But you know, you just can't, you can't really make a viable living. I mean, you can make a living. You can't make a living and then go travel. And that's mm-hmm. where my heart was. Really, was to go travel. At what point uh, during your journey traveling and? Uh, you said to yourself, hey, I can make a business out of this. Uh, it wasn't until I had a job that made me so miserable that <laughs> I thought I have to get, I, I have to figure out a way to make this a business. So I had told myself, and this is kind of a the, kind of an interesting part of the story and part of what I like to impress upon other people. I had told myself, or I told myself for Uh, a long time for 40 something years that you couldn't make money in travel. I had seen a lot of people try to make a business out of travel, whether it was travel writing or running a tour company. And they weren't, they weren't thriving. They weren't really making a, a good business. It was kind of a side hustle for them. So mm-hmm. they would have a day job and then they would do this other thing because mm-hmm. they needed to pay the bills. So these were people that I looked at and said, okay, I, I see these people, they're working in travel, but they're not really making a, a good mm-hmm. living out of it. Or, you know, it's just hard to survive that That's way. And sustainable. It's, yeah. And it still is today. It, it is very difficult. Um, but then in 2000, It was the tech boom in Seattle, and I thought, oh, you know, I should probably get a job, like air quotes, you know, like a real job. So, and I've got to figure out what this, you know, internet stuff is going on. So I got a job, and I was working, it's actually a kind of something that I stumbled into. Uh, I got a job with a tech company that was specializing in photography and travel. Mm. And it was like, oh, just right up my alley, it was perfect. Um, but it was, uh, 2000 and the company ran out of money and couldn't get funded and went bust a couple of months later. And my department, we spun off and started our own startup and we went bust, uh, September 12th, 2001, right? So right after 9-11 happened, uh, the funding, funding dried up and everybody in the travel industry just everything crashed. So we mm-hmm. were working in the travel space mm-hmm. and uh, couldn't go on, you know, any further after, you know, after 9-11 happened. Uh, so then I got a job with a company that specializes in foreign language learning. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, you know, I was fortunate in that I got this job and I was working in sales and uh, selling into the major bookstores and, mm-hmm. a, and a lot of small bookstores around the country and in Canada as well. So it gave me an opportunity to kind of learn how the book business worked and kind of how to sell into it. And I was making more money than I'd ever made before. And I just, I just thought this is great. You know, um, the problem was it was an incredibly toxic environment. The uh, owner of the company has the has or had the biggest ego of anybody I'd ever met. Um, I would go into a sales meeting on Monday mornings. I would be the only woman out of maybe a 12-person sales team. And the guys would all be talking about 
their conquests over the weekend, and uh, they would be chewing tobacco and spitting into Diet Dr. Pepper cans. And I just thought, I cannot be in this environment. It's just not healthy. So I would come home every night and complain to my husband, like, oh, I can't believe this, but I'm making such great money. If I can just continue on that path, make good money, uh, you know, maybe buy property, have passive income, then I then we can travel. You know, that, hmm. that was kind of the plan. But I couldn't take it any longer. And I just thought, you know, I've been telling myself for years and years, you can't make money in travel. And I thought, you know what, I have to figure this out. How can I make money in travel? And it was a time when, you know, the internet was booming. I mean, it still is, but the internet just started to boom and it became easier for people to market themselves online. So I decided to write a book. That was Mm -hmm. my first book, Wanderlust and Lipstick, The Essential Guide for Women Traveling Solo. Launched a a blog to go along with that. And then everything just kind of, it was right, the really the right timing. Because I had that experience selling into the bookstores, I was able to to call those buyers after I left that job, I was able to then call those buyers and say, Hey, I've got this book, you know, will you pick it up and bring it into the stores? And so I was able to leverage that and get the book into all the major retail outlets, like bookstores are dying now too, unfortunately, but at that time there were still a lot of bookstores. So had a lot of bookstores pick up the book and uh, the website took off and it just kind of my story and my messaging just really resonated with women and everything just kind of took off from there. So it was just, it was really me changing my thinking of you can't make money in travel to you can, how can I make money in travel? And then just figuring that out. Mm -hmm. Let's rewind for a little bit. Uh, In the realm of the online business, lifestyle entrepreneurship and that area, did you have any people that influenced you the most, taught you the most as far as uh, that were your to-go experts to learn how to do all of this that you ended up doing for to basically get uh, your presence started for uh, your tour guide business? Yeah, I have to go back in time uh, and think about that. Um, you know, I think... But the- you already knew a lot of these things? Well, you know what? I didn't really know. Um, I was just, I was just working hard to figure it all out. Mm -hmm. I think what I did was I looked at specifically other women who were, who were specializing in like the solo travel space. Mm. And I looked at them and I thought I can, I can do that. See, that was another thing I told myself, oh, so-and-so already has that category kind of locked up. Mm. And so I I shouldn't pursue that. But what I did when I got desperate and I said, I've got to figure this out, I started to realize that, you know, that person or those people, those women are doing something, but I can do it different and I can probably do it better. And so I, that's how I figured it out. And so I, I looked at, um, I think I just threw a bunch of things at, you know, out there into the universe mm-hmm. and, and into the business to try to figure out what works best. And really every day is like that. You know, I'm kind of tweaking and figuring out, does this work? Well, that's, you know, I'll spend some time on that, but it's not gaining some traction, but maybe this will gain some traction with a little less effort. 
When you said that your website took off, what, what does that mean? Uh, it means that I was getting a lot of traffic to it. So mm -hmm. what happened was, like I said, it was really kind of the right timing. When my book came out, uh, there were two other books by women travelers who also hit the bookstore shelves. And they had major publishers behind them. Mm. I was self-published, right? Nice. So I kind of, I hid, I, I didn't say it was like Whitman Publishing using my last name. I made up another name for it. So people didn't know that it was self-published. So the buyers wouldn't know that it was self-published or the, you know, the newspapers and magazines that picked it up. But it was just really good timing. And I was getting a lot of search engine traffic. So if somebody Googled, you know, solo women's travel, my name would come up. So when these other two books came out and those PR firms and those publishing houses were kind of marketing those books, my book always got picked up with it too. So mm. USA Today and, you know, as you mentioned, Lifestyle Magazine, Self and, nice. and all these other magazines were picking up all three books at the same time. So I got this big push and then people were coming to the website at the same time or they'd find the book in the in the store and they would say, Oh, there's a, there's a website that goes along with this. Let me see what the website is all about nice. too. So before your, uh, website took off, how long do you think it took you to ramp up all of that to get to that point from zero to, well, you know what? It was pretty quick to tell you the truth hmm. because, um, it was just luck of the timing. It was, it was early when kind of that girlfriend getaways, you know, just started to become popular. And uh, this was probably, so it was, so my first book came out in 2007. So 2007, 2008, I was getting a lot of publicity and driving a lot of traffic to the website. So, you know, uh, it was probably a couple years, which I think is pretty, pretty quick. Was the website a do-it-yourself product? No, I hired it out. Yeah. Okay. And I paid a boatload the first huh. time I created the website. Because again, it was early and there weren't just like out of the box mm -hmm. options for people. So I paid a lot of money to have somebody create it. Mm -hmm. And then I wasn't even happy with it the first time it, you know, once it's done, you're like, oh, that's not really what I, what I would like. That's not the kind of messaging I want to create. And then maybe two years later, I created another one at a fifth of the cost yes, of, of course. it, you know, and that's, and then it just keeps getting cheaper and then you can teach yourself these days. So it's just crazy. You talk about, uh, traveling solo. Why travel solo? Well, a lot of my travel has been solo. So that's kind of my expertise. And how, tell me about that first time that you decided, because I, I would imagine the first time you travel was maybe with your parents, with your family, or was it? No, not really. Was yeah. It, was the first time solo? Ever? Well, so, so as I said, I grew up in New Jersey uh -huh. with my parents and I've got three brothers and my brothers are all older than me. So they're seven, nine and 11 years older. So by the time I was 12, 13, all of my brothers were out of the house. So in a, in a way I grew up, I don't want to say as an only child, but I had a lot of time to myself when I, in those kind of formative years. And so I got used to spending time on my own, coming mm -hmm. home from school, you know, it's just on my own. So I got very used to that and very confident with that. And when it came time that uh, I started getting interested in travel, I just thought it never occurred to me, I don't think like, well, I can't go until someone comes with me. Mm. I just thought, this is what I want to do. I'm going to go do it. <laughs> and so 
you know, I just started making plans to, to go travel. Um, oh, I, wow. I did, when, when I was in college, I did take a music, a classical music course at Oxford for like three weeks, you know, with my university and went with a group of people. And then uh, what came after that? I think I took a I took a semester off from school, and I drove around the U.S. for three months. And I had friends in all these locations all over the country because they were also scattered out going mm-hmm. to university. So uh, so I just got exposed to. I was staying in youth hostels, and so I got exposed to all these other cultures and uh, had all this great you know all these great opportunities to meet people from around the world and then just kind of couch surf and stay with friends, uh, you know, around the country at that time. And that was definitely on my own. And I just got hooked from there and just kept going. What would you say is uh, the impact that traveling has had in your life over the past 30 years? Oh, it's just changed me dramatically. In what ways? Um, it makes me a better person. It makes me, it makes me more flexible. It makes me more understanding when I'm home. It makes me understand more understanding when I'm on the road. The more travel you have, and it, and it's and it's hard for me because I've kind of lost perspective because it it's become so natural for me that when something goes sideways, I just think that's the way it is. Like I was just in India uh, just over a week ago and things always go sideways in India. It's just like not a smooth place to be. And uh, I just, I just take it for granted, you know, that, yep, things are going to happen. But when I'm leading a tour and I've got this group, I have to kind of explain to them, look, you need a bucket load of patience to be here if you're going to enjoy yourself. And hopefully you're here to enjoy yourself. Um, but I think that's I think that's the biggest thing. It just makes me more flexible and more tolerant and more interested, um, not only abroad, but when I come home, you know, I like to go down the ethnic food section of the grocery store and, you know, just cook different foods and kind of understand, you know, my communities in the Seattle area, you know, who are different than I am. I was I was reading that you put yourself into some crazy adventures uh in your blog uh, like the motorcycle yeah, trip yeah uh, around those type of trips what would you say was the craziest trip the craziest trip story you've had so far <laughs> well yeah the craziest trip story is uh early on in my travels i took a year and i was traveling through the pacific rim countries mm-hmm. so from seattle i had i was traveling all through asia and i spent six months in australia and then i came home over a year's time and um i was traveling through cambodia and that was in 1992 and it's when no tourists were in 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 cambodia um the oh, khmer wow. rouge had just been kind of dismantled and there were four factions who were trying to take over the government you know and trying to trying to get elected uh, in Cambodia and kind of nobody knew who was in control mm-hmm. and I was there with a friend at the time but we we were taking this uh, road from Siem Reap Uh, which is the capital, or Phnom Penh, I'm sorry, which is the capital up to Siem Reap where Angkor Wat is. And everybody goes to Angkor Wat now. And it's about 60 miles, but the roads are so bad it takes two days. And so we were traveling by road and we had gotten split up because there there weren't 
there wasn't enough room in these vehicles for both of us. So she was in one vehicle and I was in another. And uh, along the way, we got stopped by this military uh, checkpoint or this military stop. And uh, the the idea was that the driver was supposed to pay this guy off so that he could pass through, so that mm-hmm. we could pass through. And uh, this guy saw me in the back of this pickup truck and this blonde person in in amongst all the dark haired Cambodians and this, you know, blonde, blue eyed gal. So he stops, he stops us and he comes around and he's just kind of touching my arm and talking to me in Khmer and I'm saying, no, understand, no, understand. And he's laughing, no, understand, no, understand. And uh, he's got an AK-47 with him. And he, uh, the driver comes around and tries to give him the local currency and he doesn't want the local currency. And the driver gets back in and starts to drive away. And um, the guy pulls out a hand grenade. And I just felt like, even though I was sitting down, I just felt like my legs had fallen out from underneath me. And he never pulled the pin. The driver took off. But here he was with his, you know, his AK-47 or his rocket launcher or whatever. And, you know, pulls out a hand grenade. So that was the... Because your driver drove away to escape the guy. Yes, yes. The dri- oh, yeah. my God. Yeah, yeah. That's so the just... driver pulls away. So that was kind of my craziest story. I'm sweating as you're telling me this yeah, story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's a, that's my crazy story. But the, the crazier thing is, right? And I don't know. I was in my early 20s. So the crazier thing is, is that my friend and I get to Angkor Wat and we tour around and then we do the same thing. We get back in a car, we get back in vehicles and we go right back, you know, two days later, you know, we go back and, and head back to Phnom Penh, that same route, you know, and everything was fine. But we Were did- Were you afraid that something like that would happen? Yeah, it was on my mind, of course. And when we got back- But to, you had to do it, right? Yeah. Well, we could have flown, but if we flew, it was going to cost- um, you know, we were backpackers, right? With no money. So if we flew, it was going to be the cost of the flight. And they were charging people 120 US dollars to go to Angkor Wat, but they only charged you at the airport. So that was our reasoning is that we were escaping kind of the entrance fee, which was an outrageous amount. That's like, you can't mm. even go to Disneyland for that. So, um, all right, it's more than Disneyland. So it was like 120 bucks entrance fee and then this flight, you know. So we were just being, you know, young backpackers. But wow. we got we got back to Phnom Penh and we met these folks who were working at the UN and uh they said, "Oh yeah, like these like two British people just got beheaded like on that same route." Oh my God. Like like <sighs> a day or two after we got back. Do you so, always had a high tolerance for risk? Because, I mean, that seems pretty high, high to me. High <laughs> tolerance for risk. I won't jump out of an airplane. Like, I, you know, okay. I won't skydive, you know. So, for me, but it's... But you'll drive it's... where the British got the <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I didn't know of that course. at the time. But, you know, it's a, it, for me, it's calculated risks. Like, I rode my motorcycle from Seattle to Panama mm-hmm. solo, 7,000 miles over nine weeks. And I felt like that was very calculated. Like, I knew where I was going to stay. I felt very safe doing that and other people are like are you that's crazy that's absolutely crazy but i just feel like it's calculated risk what do you advise um woman who or like any really anybody really who wants to travel they want to travel they want to know more but they're afraid because you know obviously especially these days uh, there's so much in the media and everything and plus there is something new even if there was nothing on the media the fact that 
maybe someone was not like you, always independent, but they want to travel. What? How do you get them to go from one thing to doing it? Turn off the news, <laughs> for one. And I'm okay. very serious about that because I think there's just... There's... And what about just the new experience of doing something they've not... Yeah, so I mean, really, don't listen to don't listen to the warnings and don't listen to that stuff. I think that that is so, so critical. Like, it's really, really important. What do you mean with warnings? Well, uh, I know people who don't want to go to Paris right now because of, or London, because of things that have happened in those cities, mm -hmm. right? So people become fearful because of one incident. Got it. And I just don't think that that's fair. So like, inform yourself, but don't let that stuff like detract you from travel. So that's number one. The other thing is, is for a new person who's traveling, like a newbie, Get comfortable. You want to have some confidence when you're traveling. So I always recommend that people, if you're new to travel, go someplace like, you know, if you live on the West Coast or you live in the middle of the country, go visit a friend in New York and go stay with that person. So you have kind of a safety net, but then kind of go out and go to museums, go get yourself on the subway, go take a bus ride and just get comfortable with it, but know that you can come home that evening and have somebody there to chat with or have mm -hmm. kind of that safety net. And that's, I think that's the way to do it. Just mm -hmm. to kind of slowly dip your toe in the water. Now, uh, really quickly, what would you say is your top advice to stretch uh, your travel budget? Oh, top advice to... Yeah. And I know you cover this extensively in, in probably your guides and yeah. your blog. Gosh, there's just... But there's... if there is one that you would, you could only share one, what would it be? The one that ha I would say the, the, the 20 or the 80-20, right? Yeah. So I would say, um, you know, one of your highest costs is going to be your accommodation. Like, mm. so it's going to be your flights. Like that is usually your most expensive cost, right? The and flight or the... The flight is. Yeah, the flight is. But there's not a lot you can do about that. Like you can, you can manipulate a little bit and kind of figure out when, you know, when is the cheapest time to book a flight? Like how far out? Is it three months, six months, that kind of thing? But still you're probably only talking a couple couple hundred dollars in, in change. Do you have a to-go place to book flights or do you actually always end up browsing, browsing around in more than one place? Well, you know what? I've become um, a more loyal uh, Delta flyer. So I try to book everything through Delta because I've got like premium status on that and I get bumped up and that kind of thing. So mm -hmm. that's what I do. But in terms of like accommodations, that's going to be really your next biggest uh, your next biggest cost. And there's ways that you can get around that. So there's couch surfing, there's Airbnb, uh, there's Servos, which is, uh, an organization where you actually stay for free. It's a two night minimum, but you stay for free with people who are all over the world who've been vetted. Um, and so it's a, you know, st a safe place to stay. And I think that's really, that's the way to go is just, you know, don't, Don't buy into having, you know, expensive hotel stays. Maybe maybe bookend your trip with like a nice place at the beginning when you land so you can get over jet mm -hmm. lag and a nice place at the end so you can kind of bookend it. But in, in, in between, have these cultural experiences and stay with people. Nice. Um, what about a, your top tip for traveling with kids? And this is more obviously because I have a one-year daughter. Oh, you're daughter, traveling with kids. And that's been an interesting journey for me. Yeah. You know what? I don't have kids, so I don't have a good tip for that. I would say just 
do it because when I talk to people like from Europe who are just traveling constantly with their kids, they're like, what is it with you Americans thinking that this is so difficult? Like just pick up your kid and go, you know, <laughs> or I have Indian friends who have, I've got these really good friends who have two girls and they, they're like, we're never without our girls. We travel everywhere. So I think the, I think the key is just do it. Don't be intimidated by it. But that's coming from a person who doesn't have kids. So <laughs> it's easy for me to say. I wanted to go back to uh, talking about your tour guide business. How did yeah. you get your first group of people to travel with or to, to guide? Yeah. So the very first trip I did, it was never my intention to have a tour business. Mm -hmm. um, I had the book and I had the website and a friend called me and said, hey, um, how would you like to lead a women-only tour to Bhutan? And this was 2000. The first trip was in 2008. And I said, uh, where's Bhutan? Because <laughs> I didn't even know. <laughs> and it has to be co-ed because my husband wants to go. So we together put together this trip because he was doing some tours with people. And so we, together we put together this trip. And I led my first trip to Bhutan. I'd never been there before. Led my first trip to Bhutan. And I just felt like, okay, I'm going to be the cheerleader. I'm going to get people up at seven o'clock in the morning, knock on their doors, make sure that everybody's, you know, on time, on the bus and that kind of thing. And I'll just kind of learn as I go. And it went really well. And there's still people I keep in touch with, a lot of people from that trip that I, that are friends of mine and who've come back on, on uh, tours in that, you know, since the, in those like past nine years. Um And it just kind of grew from there. So it was Bhutan. And I thought, you know what? Everybody's been asking me to lead tours because that was a lot of the feedback that I was getting. And maybe I can do this. Maybe I can make it a business. So it was Bhutan. And then I, uh, then I did India because I had good connections in India and then Southeast Asia because I had great connections in Asia, including Cambodia. I now bring people to Cambodia and then Papua New Guinea and I do culinary tours in the U.S. But it just all kind of grew very organically. It was never my intention, but I just thought I'm getting requests for this and um, I, I think it's something that I can do. So you had any mentors uh, for this business at the beginning? No, again, it kind of it kind of goes back to that uh, what I was saying before. I don't, I didn't have a lot of mentors. I just kind of figured it out. And what mm -hmm. I thought was, um, I I do things very differently with my tours. Like mm -hmm. uh, we we meet up on the first day, and I give everybody a hug because we're going to be friends. We're gonna we're gonna be spending the next fifteen days together. We're gonna like each other. And, uh, we're just going to have a good time together. And, uh, I just, I run things very differently and I just think, how would I want this trip to go and, and run it accordingly? So I don't really have mentors. I see what other people are doing and I just think, ah, oh, that's not really for me or for my people. I have a mailing list of about 10,000 people now that I've built up mm -hmm. over time and people get to know me and they think, oh, she looks fun or, you know, a friend recommended this trip, so I'm going to go. And sometimes my method doesn't work for everybody and they don't come back. And that's okay with me because it's not the way I do it isn't for everybody, but it, it works for enough people that I have a sustainable business. How did you build an email list of 10,000 subscribers and how long did it took you? Yeah. So it started with friends and family. <laughs> and, right. and then... Um, what was your pitch? <laughs> 
Hi, you're on my mailing list. <laughs> Unsubscribe if you don't like it. Okay. Oh, yeah, there was no pitch. Love it. There was, hi, I met you somewhere along the way, or we're related. And Kind of like when Facebook started, people just add you as a friend, right? Without yeah. Even, oh, I saw you in the hole. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, that's exactly how I did it. So I started, Love it. I probably started with a list of... I don't know, maybe 600 or so. I don't know. And I do a lot of speaking gigs too. So I've been collecting email mm-hmm. addresses. I started collecting email addresses from people and just kind of building it up. And then they would forward it. And then I would like beg people, please forward it to someone so that they can sign up. How too. do you collect the email addresses during your speaking gigs? Uh, I just send out a piece of paper. I just like With offering. Yeah, advice. yeah, exactly. Right. So I just got say, it. hey, I've got this newsletter. You Fantastic. can sign up for it. You don't have to. Perfect. If you get the first one and you don't like it, unsubscribe. So, And sometimes I do a giveaway, like put your name in a hat and mm-hmm. you're going to get a pair of travel shoes, you know, and I'm putting you on my list too. I, you know, I'm upfront about that. <laughs> nice. So, yeah. No, you know, it's, it seems that it's really fun for a lot of people probably who, who are going to listen to this episode. They're like, oh, this seems really cool. You know, Betty's uh, making a living, doing what she loves. But now let's... Talk a little bit about what would you think are is the hardest part of the behind the scenes of running a tour guide business? Because mm. no, nothing is easy, and yeah, at least that's my impression of. Yeah, well, you know what? There's two really difficult parts to it. The first is sweating it out for months, wondering if the tour is going to sell. Because mm. I've put in all this time to develop a tour. And then market it and kind of try to get it out to people. And sometimes it doesn't resonate or the timing Mm. isn't bad. Or like I've offered trips to Burma and then all of a sudden all this stuff goes on in Burma where people just, it it just doesn't resonate with them. You know, it's like, oh, they, no, I'll go there later. I'll go another time. So sometimes that's the hard part. And I wake up at four o'clock in the morning and I'm like, oh my gosh, I've got four people signed up for that trip. I know they're really looking forward to it. But I think I'm going to have to cancel it because I can't, you know, I can't go, I can't send just four people or I can't go on the trip if there's just four people because I'd be losing money on it, right? Oh, you have like a break. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. And it's usually six or seven or so. So if I'm just under that, then I'm like, oh man, I, I like, how do I tell these people, you know, that, that I can, we can't run the trip that weighs heavy on me. I know tour operators cancel trips all the time but that bothers me i can't it's it's hard for me it's funny because i just uh in the training world the break-even point is around eight to ten students oh is it yeah in person yeah yeah yep that's interesting yeah so right to make it affordable you know so you've got to figure that out so that's the first part and then the second part is and i'll speak to this because i was just in india where it is difficult to run a tour i had a group of 15 women and i'm on like I'm up, I'm up every day around five o'clock, right? So I'm up early in the morning, maybe trying to get a little exercise in mm-hmm. and then meeting the group at seven or seven thirty, And then I'm on until whenever they drop for the night, right? And that could be 10 o'clock at night because they, you know, we're sightseeing, we're having lunch, we're sightseeing, then we have dinner and then they want to get together and have fun, you know, go do something else in the evening. And then I just, I'm like wiped out by 10 o'clock at night because I'm like logistically, I'm trying to make sure that everything's running smoothly, everybody's safe, uh, nobody's getting hurt, nobody's getting anything stolen. I'm constantly counting. I don't want anybody to get, get lost or stray away. So it's, that's just, it's, it is a stressful part of it. But, mm-hmm. um, but at the end of the day, if everybody's having a great time, then that also energizes me. 
Okay. Do you get to still to enjoy the traveling when you are responsible for so many people? Yeah. As much I, as when you do it solo? As much as, you know, in some ways, it's actually sometimes more rewarding when I'm solo because I've mm -hmm. got this sisterhood, you know, when it's, when I, not all of my trips are women only, but uh, the majority of them are. So then I've got all these friends that I'm traveling with because from day one, we're giving everybody a hug and we're getting, we're getting to know each other in a private Facebook group. And so then we can't wait to meet each other. And so, um, so in some ways I'm having a great time, you know, and, and then other ways it's just stressful because I'm constantly always on and, and just kind of making sure that everything's working properly. So would it be fair to say that there is definitely always a compromise of doing what you love for a living, right? Because you're doing it solo. You don't have to worry about other people. Yeah. You get to do it by getting other people to travel. Right. But obviously you have to compromise with having a little extra stress that you wouldn't right. have yep. regardless. Yeah, so. absolutely. But the other the other thing to that too is that when I'm with a group and I'm controlling the itinerary, I mean, mm -hmm. the, I'm controlling the itinerary from way back a year prior to when I was actually creating the itinerary, I get to do what I want to do. You know, I get to create an itinerary that's like, this sounds like fun. I want to go do that. And if I'm having fun at it, then everybody else is going to have fun. So, and I may not do that if I'm traveling by myself. So I get to do things that, that I wouldn't normally do. So that's kind of neat. Now, you're blogging, speaking. You said you're uh, you're running a newsletter for a while, 10,000 subscribers. And uh, now you have a podcast. Yeah. If you could only do one uh, for your business or to continue to grow your business, which one would you keep? You get to only you do one. Hmm. You know, I think today I might, if I could only do one, I think today it might be the podcast. Hmm. And I'll tell you why, because my, my goal right now and my goal for launching the Be Bold podcast is to try to inspire and encourage as many women to to travel, but to also do other things. Cause the, I, in the podcast, I talk to women and they're doing many different things. They're professional athletes, mm -hmm. uh, they're philanthropists, they're musicians, they're travelers, they're adventurers. And so if I can help tell their stories, then that's going to reach hopefully a bigger audience and encourage other women to travel or be philanthropic or be a musician or follow their dream or whatever it is. And so when I do a tour, I've only got, I've 12 or 15 people in front of me that I can influence. If I have a podcast, the audience is limitless. And so that's where I really get my juice flowing. You know, I get really excited about that. So is the vision maybe uh, planning a tour or a trip where you will be pulling people from around the world to meet in a certain place and then you taking, taking it from there? Because obviously the audience in the podcast. Could no, be more no, than no, no, no. I just mean in general. No, it's just Got it's it. not. It's still not me necessarily doing the tour. It's just that in getting general. them to think out of the box and Got just it. thinking about how they can uh, have a better life. Got it. Whether it's travel or you know whatever it is, it's gonna, that's going to help them improve their lives. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, you publish three travel guides for women. Is that correct? Right. So I have uh, the Essential Guide for Women Traveling Solo, mm -hmm. for Women Traveling to India, mm -hmm. both of which I wrote. Mm -hmm. And then I published uh, Traveling with Kids, and two other women wrote that 
wrote that book. Oh, got it, got right, it. Right, right. So That's it's still, I... right. So it's still the Wanderlust and Lipstick brand, but uh, the Traveling with Kids book was written by two women who actually have kids who are much more authoritative nice. than me. Uh, I wanted to talk about the process from start to finish uh, to put these guides together. Let's maybe the first one. What, what does that look like? Oh, <sighs> writing a book, really difficult. <laughs> You know, writing, I'm, I'm actually writing another book right now, but writing that book, uh, The Essential Guide for Women Traveling Solo, it was a lot of research. And, you know, when you're, when you're writing kind of a, uh, a nonfiction how-to book, um, I don't want to say it's easy, but it's, it's easier than writing like a memoir because mm -hmm. you're just doing research and you're putting, pulling stuff together. And it was a lot of long days of just like hunkered down at the laptop just tapping away, drinking tons of tea, you know, trying to pump it out. And that, and that was a lot of work. And I also interviewed a lot of women for that book too. Right now I'm working on more of a memoir. It's called Be Bold, Discovering Your Best Self Through Travel and Adventure. Um, and that's even harder because uh, it's me. I'm, put, I'm pouring myself into it. And that's, that's just much more difficult for me, but I'm hoping again, that that's going to be a big inspiration for women and that they'll read that and then think about how they can change or improve their lives based on my stories. Do you ever get the writer's block? Uh, Are you at this point? No, I would say writer's block is um, me checking my email. <laughs> You know, like I don't notice it. If I don't want to write mm -hmm. or if I'm avoiding it, I just do, I fill my time doing something else because I have so many things going on and I'm wearing so many hats that I can't say that, I mean, of course I have writer's block, but it's more self-talk of like, this is crappy. Like, I'm just going to ignore that for a while. It, and it's not even, I'm not even that cognizant of it. It's just, oh, I have more important things to do, like, like you know, work on the podcast or check my email or get back to the hundred emails in my inbox kind of thing. So, uh, do you make progress, progress towards finishing the book around the same times every day or do you? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a morning person. Okay. So I try to spend, I just think if I can just spend an hour every day working on the book, it doesn't always happen that way, but that's my goal is that every morning I get up and I work for an hour and work on the book and then I can just kind of put it. And if it spills over longer than that, then great. But, um, but that's the goal is to work on it every day and, and just kind of get a chunk of it done every, every morning. Now, from doing one guy, then the second, then doing a partnership for the third one, uh, what would you say were the biggest lessons learned and perhaps some mistakes that you would avoid in the future when taking on similar projects, like the memoir and who knows, probably you'll do more? Oh, oh, there's so many, I guess. Like uh... Maybe the one that was the most painful. You know, no, you know, what I will tell you is this, is that I never realized that writing was such a collaborative effort. Hmm. I really thought that, um, that, and, and I'm going to speak specifically like about my current project. Um, I just thought that writers went in a room, sat down, went to a coffee shop and just wrote and wrote and wrote, and then sent the book off to an editor. And what I'm finding is that one of the most valuable things is, is that I have, um, I'm working with an editor and she helps me along with the process. And I have a friend 
who knows me pretty well and I'll send it to her and she'll say, ugh, like that's, like that is not, that's not you. So the editor who doesn't know me quite as well might say, yeah, that looks great. And then I send it to my friend and she's like, ah, you know, that's not, that doesn't quite sound like you. You might approach it differently. So, you know, when you read a forward in a book or a, um, you know, prologue and, and, and it says, oh, thanks so-and-so for all their help. Like, this is really a team effort. I didn't realize it really is a team effort because you've got to have a lot of people giving you input in it. And I just didn't know that. Like, when I think of, like, an Elizabeth Gilbert, Eat, Pray, Love, I think, oh, man, she's just, like, hunkered down and wrote this great book. I'm sure she had a team of people who were helping her with that. And I just don't, even though it's her story, I just don't think that. I think it's magic that she created this book. Hmm. Uh, your life as a speaker. Yeah. When did you start speaking? Uh, when my first book came out. Hmm. So I've, I had been teaching workshops for a long time, like at community colleges and um, just having a room full of maybe 10 people, 10 women who wanted to come learn how to kind of get into travel, like uh, tips for women travelers. And I would do maybe a two and a half hour class, little workshop for them. And then when I was working on that first book, I had this, I knew the book was going to be published in April of 2007. And going back to December, I remember having like panic attacks of like, oh my God, I'm going to have to go into bookstores and promote this book. And I'm so fearful of getting up in front of people, you know, and, and speaking. What if they ask me a question and I don't know the answer, you know, so I had, I had really was really fearful of this. And now I'm like, If I don't have 300 people in a room, like, then, I, like, I'm not happy. <laughs> like, the more people who are in a room when I'm speaking, the happier I am. And it's, and it just took practice and the realization that people are rooting for you and they're not out to get you and make you look like a jerk. So mm -hmm. it was just having that confidence and, and the confidence of saying, uh, if somebody asks a question, I don't know the answer, you just say, I don't know. So in, chrono in chronological order, you love traveling. You ended up writing a book, yeah, which got you to speak, right? Then the website and the tour guide business came after. Yeah, the the website came along with the book because it was got kind it. of my marketing material. Perfect. And then I wrote this book, the Essential Guide for Women Traveling Solo, to encourage women to travel independently. And they started coming to me and saying, "You should lead tours. If you led a trip, I would go with you." Right. And I thought. No, you didn't listen to me. I want you to travel independently. Yeah. But, but you're to listen to the market. Yeah, but then I had to listen to the market and I had this friend who said, hey, you want to lead a tour? And I was like, oh, I guess so. I'll, I'll give it a shot. And then I was like, okay, now I get it. You know, like some people just don't have the time or the wherewithal to put together their own trip and they've got the money to pay someone to do it. So yeah. why not? And for that first book, how did you get traction? Because this is the beginning of your... Right, you didn't have the website, you didn't have the followers, you didn't have the subscribers. Yeah, well, well, that's where um, me working with that company, working sales in that company where I was working for in book sales, I could go to Borders and I could go to Barnes and Noble and um. chapters up in Canada, and I could go to the buyers and say, "Hey, can you, you know, can you pick up my book?" And and then at the same time, these other books by these women had come out about traveling solo. So it got picked up in like USA Today. So the buyer said, well, we'll only bring it in if you're getting 
media attention. And I'm like, as a matter of fact, I am getting media attention. So it's like, it's been in all these newspapers and all these magazines. So it was just like this, just total luck of timing because those books came out within my book and two other books came out within like two months of each other. And so they were all getting packaged together. So you got the connections. Yeah. And obviously in your case, the book was mostly was just good enough also. Yeah. Like you didn't really need all day. Because I'm, I, I think these days some books can make it through just because of the audience. Yeah. <laughs> Even though sometimes they may not, may not meet the reader's expectations. Right. 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 So that, that was, I thought it was really interesting. Now but back to your speaking. Uh, what what's your most popular presentation or talk, and why? Uh, my most popular. Or the best one. received yeah. so far. You know what? It just depends because um, I've spoken at the New York Times travel show. I've spoken on women's travel. I've spoken on travel writing. And I've and in both cases, the rooms have been packed. And, um, you know, uh, people are really interested in travel writing and how do you make a business out of that? Um but those aren't like that's not travel writing necessarily isn't my favorite topic. My favorite topic is getting women out and traveling. So providing safety tips, you know, or just kind of a how to mm-hmm. advice on on getting out there and traveling. So I I like to speak about women's travel, um, but uh, but sometimes it's just more I've depending on the event. It's just more general travel that I have to talk about or creating a business or whatever it is. Now, going a little deeper into the essence of your presentations, are there any parts that you noticed that engage the audience the most? Mm. For those, you know, just general presentation tactics here. Yeah, I just think when people hear my personal story, and I think one, because I, I really try to focus on this, that that whole idea of telling myself you can't do something and telling myself for a very long time that something can't be done and then just like flipping the words around and saying, hmm. how can I do it? I think that's a, that's a, like an aha moment for people like, oh, maybe that thing that I've been telling myself I couldn't do, maybe I can do it. So I think that's kind of a, a pivotal point there. Um, but I just think, I think when people hear my extreme stories, like I rode a motorcycle to Panama <laughs> solo, then they think like, wow, I'm afraid to drive to Tacoma by myself. Maybe, <laughs> you know, maybe I should rethink that, you know? Yeah. So that's that's the kind of thing that... Uh, so you're like one of them and then you become the Shiro, basically, of the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, um, we're getting close to wrap up here, but before I do that, I, I have this uh, section of rapid fire questions uh, called How I Work. Okay. So, and it's just to get a little snapshot of how you work. Yeah. Uh, what's your morning routine like? Um, morning routine. So I, I set my alarm at 518 because I okay. have this, I'm like, <laughs> I, love that I know I have this like kind of OCD thing where I can never wake up at like five uh-huh. or five o'clock and 518 is my husband's birthday. So, oh, so then I'm like, nice. oh, then that's like a nice little thing. So I wake up at my alarm is set for 518, but I usually wake up before that. So I get up, um, usually before I go downstairs, I meditate. So I have a little meditation room uh, that's on the way down the stairs. So stop and meditate. Go downstairs. Um, 
I usually fix like an apple cider vinegar drink, um, which is mm. a good cl- cleanse. I've done that before, yeah. And then have that in the morning, and then uh, I journal. So I, I'll spend time just sitting and journaling, and it, and my journaling morphs just depend on depending on what I'm going through. Mm-hmm. And then um, this I, is like freestyle journaling. Yeah, it is. I kind of make things up as Got I it. go. Like I might have something on my mind, and I'll journal mm-hmm. it. And then. Um, I'm a runner, so I like to run in the morning, and I have to wait for the light. So in the summertime, I can run at 5 o'clock in the morning, like I can go right out and mm-hmm. run. But now, yeah. uh, I have to wait until 8, 8.30, like, you know, we're almost at the solstice so or the time change. Um, so it's my, my timing for running is going to be a little bit later. So then I yeah. go run, come home, have breakfast, and then start my work day. Fantastic. Uh, what do you have for breakfast usually? So I uh, start with a protein smoothie uh-huh. after my run. I might have a little snack before I run, depending uh-huh. on how hungry I am. Protein smoothie and then oatmeal every day. Love it. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oatmeal. Something like that. Yeah, so oatmeal, cinnamon, walnuts, flaxseed, and berries. Nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's one word that best describes how you work? How I one how word. I work. Um, and you can always uh, pass on to any of these questions. Yeah, That's maybe just intense. Intense, all right. Current computer. Oh, laptop, uh, uh, MacBook Pro. Right. Yeah, MacBook Air. I think I've got current mobile device. Uh, iPhone. All right. Uh, app, software, tools you can't live without. And let's just keep it three. Uh, you know what? I'm going to say uh, none. Fantastic. Yeah, because I'm really trying to get away from making my phone so central. Mm-hmm. Um, so I and uh, yeah, I want. I'd like to believe that if my phone went away and my apps went away, mm. I I would actually be happier if they did. <laughs> All right, <laughs> but you won't throw them. <laughs> I have. It has consi- to be an accident. I have considered it. Believe me, yeah. <laughs> what everyday thing are you better than everyone else oh better than everything everybody else uh everyday thing i think my protein smoothies are pretty darn good that's what i would say (laughs) okay what's your workspace setup like uh i try to keep my desk relatively clean Mm -hmm. and uh yeah i don't know i guess uh, just a desktop you know, just kind of a normal thing. And I, and as you've seen, I got a new chair recently, a Veridesk chair, nice. which is a nice little flexible thing so I can kind of move around, but I'm not sitting yeah. squarely like most people. Nice. What's your best time-saving life hack? Time-saving? Uh, I have two. I'm going to give All you right. two. One is meditation. Hmm. Because uh, when I meditate, let's say I meditate for 10 or 15 minutes. That meditation is probably going to save me from being angry or uh, just stuck in my head later in the day when something goes sideways. I can let it go. And so as long as I have a meditation practice that's regular, then I can be calm and I can have stuff thrown at me and it just kind of rolls off me and I don't worry about, I don't worry about things so much. So I think that's super important for me. And the other thing is, journaling or kind of making lists. And that's part of like part of what journaling is for me is 
understanding what's important for me on a daily basis. Mm. And so throughout the day, if I veer off, I can go back to kind of what I journaled and say, is this really getting me closer to my goals or not? Mm -hmm. So those are my two things. By the way, I, I, I thought about what my answers for this would be. And you're the first person that has the same answer for the best time saving life hack, which is for me also meditation. Oh, it is. <laughs> oh, great. How long do you meditate for? Uh, I usually go 10 minutes. Oh, yeah, good. Uh, the weekends, if I, uh, if I get more free time, I'll try to do 30 minutes. But yeah. I don't go longer than that. And in vacations one hour maybe. oh wow so yeah. you know the importance of it like oh, if you yeah. like been... if you can get 10 minutes in yep. when your child is it's my anti-adhd yeah exactly <laughs> so when your child is screaming in the middle of the day you can be calmer about it well and... she's one year old so literally anything she does i love oh okay okay <laughs> so far i haven't got to the point okay where i'm still like obsessed okay <laughs> let me change in the future but you never know yeah right what's your favorite to-do list manager you know what? I just got a new one. Uh, I'm going to look it up what it's called too, because mm. um, I was using I was using Go Tasks, which is actually outdated on the um, on my iPhone. But I just got this other one called Nozbe N O Z B E, mm -hmm. and I'm kind of digging on that. I think that's going to work out for me. So nice, nice. Yeah. What do you listen to while at work? Uh, or maybe I, you don't listen to it. I do listen. I I stream a radio station out of France called huh. FIP. So F is in French, I, P is in Paul, FIP radio. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing. It's just, it's, you can hear the French DJs and then it's just super eclectic music. It's really great. Nice. What are you currently reading or listening to? Books wise, obviously. Yeah. So I am currently reading a book called The Science of Meditation hmm. by Shinzen Young. And it's it's an amazing book. Uh, and then I'm reading a book called How Not to Die. I've always got I've got always got like a stack of books that I'm reading on a regular basis. So the other one is called How Not to Die by Dr. Michael Greger, and it's all mm -hmm. about plant based eating and how we can get rid of disease through plant based eating. Yeah. And for those listening, I just wanted to make a note. You're sharing a lot of very interesting things. I I have a section in the in the blog version of this podcast where I link to everything awesome that Good. you're sharing here so people don't freak out and can relax yeah try to, yeah right <laughs> uh, what's your sleep routine like oh i can sleep through most anything um but i'm generally i think i i generally go to sleep or around 10 or 10 30 at night and then i'm up at five um and i'm out like a log like mm -hmm. usually nothing will wake me in the when i first go to sleep and then, uh, and then I'm easily awoken, like kind of middle of the night or early in the morning. If something wakes me up at four thirty, then I'm just up and I have to get up. But, uh, but yeah, I can sleep on planes. Um, so yeah. All right, and then, what's something that most people don't know about you? Oh, that most people don't know. Um, hmm. Big music fan. I don't think that comes up a lot. We talked about that earlier. Uh, just a huge music fan. Uh, I just bought a bicycle. That's right. like my first bicycle. That's a big thing for me. Um, <laughs> invested in a road bike uh, for the first time. I don't know when I last had a bike. Like when I was 10? I don't know. So here I am 40 years later. 
you know, I get a bike. So that's kind of fun. So, and I, I think eventually, um, so I run marathons. I think uh-huh. eventually I'm going to do a triathlon. So that's the idea wow. behind that. That's yeah. incredible. So, yeah. Now we have one more last question, but before the, uh, that, where can people find you online? So uh, the Be Bold podcast, and I've got a website, BeBoldPodcast.com. Wanderlustandlipstick.com is where mm-hmm. my blog is, although I'm not blogging quite as much since I've got the podcast, but there's lots of great information on there um, for women travelers. And then wandertours.com, W-A-N-D-E-R, wandertours.com is where uh, people will find all the tours that I lead. Wow. Yeah. So I'm wearing many hats. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll, I'll add links to that too. And for those listening, I actually got to scan through some of your blogs. I definitely recommend the one the ones about your crazy stories yeah. the, the motorcycle and everything <laughs> I, I thought that was, that, that was very interesting and definitely on my to-read list yeah um okay so the last question is and you, you feel free to take your time um it's an original in the sense that i got it from another podcast but i love it so much that i don't care yeah yeah <laughs> uh, if today was your last day on earth yeah. and everything you created was all to disappear but you could leave your loved ones and the world behind with three truths about life what would those be? Is this Lewis Howes? That is yeah, Lewis Howes. Because I, <laughs> I listen to him all the time and, and I think, how would I answer that? So Actually, now I'm stuck. Yep. Yeah, now I am answering. Um, so t- three truths. Um, don't believe everything you think. Because mm-hmm. I think we tend to talk ourselves out of things. Um, be bold. You know, just um, do things that you... Just move forward and and do things that you that you didn't think that you could do. So be bold in that in that way. So uh, and then a third one, um, I don't be healthy. Like you know, like really, that's been a big part of my messaging and my understanding about myself over the years. Is that if you, I mean, it's it's uh, really cliche to say that if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. But really what I've understood is that like we are force fed uh, food and pharmaceuticals and unhealthy things. And if we can just get ourselves on track, physically healthy, we'll be mentally healthier. And I think that is so key. So don't believe everything you say to yourself. Yes. Be bold. Yeah. And be healthy. Yes. I love it. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And that was my interview with Beth Whitman. A couple of quick announcements before you leave. For reference, you can access these episode's notes alongside other resources at bit.ly slash BTS EP018. Finally, if you enjoyed listening to this interview, the best way to support me on this podcast is by leaving a review on iTunes. Thank you for tuning in and remember to live a life that moves you. <laughs>